Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Playoff baseball is like the greatest thing in the world, isn't it? I mean, is it? Doesn't it? I mean, the Pirates aren't in it, and I know that that you know it's hard to appreciate it. And the first thing that people do after their team season is over is they need to decompress. So maybe not everybody's watching it, but I mean, some of these games early on are just amazing theater. Yeah, I mean, some of the crazy stuff you're seeing, like the, the walk off by the Dodgers, just just everything that happens. I. Uh, Randy Arasarena stealing home base. I mean, it's just, it's electric, man. It actually is. And and Sunday's games, and, you know, it's hard because, like, you'll talk about one game and then all of a sudden, like, something else great is going to happen. So we're like, why didn't they bring that up? But I, I want to focus on, like, Sunday. There were two games that were just nuts. First of all, the Red Sox were a wild card team going up on the Rays. One game apiece in Tampa Bay and then going 13 innings with a walk-off home run. And you get the crazy play where the ball bounces off the wall and then off of Hunter Renfro, and it's only a ground rule double, and it really saves the Red Sox right there. And then you get a home run like right up into the stands on the Green Monster to walk it off in the 13th. Like that, that's, that's playoff baseball, you know? And then, and then the other one that, that was happening that day that was nuts, the fan base in Chicago watching the White Sox like, if you're looking for a team, and I don't even know if they're making it through the first round because they're down to the Astros. And by the time you listen to this, they could be eliminated because they got game four really early on in the day, on Tuesday, the day that this episode comes out. But if you're looking for, like, a like a team to follow, that rabid fan, that was the angriest fan base I've ever seen. They, the chanting and the screaming and the swearing and the... Just the noise level that was inside that place, the absolute just ridiculousness. Of it. That crowd was absolutely nuts on Sunday. They had everybody wearing black in the stadium, you know, for, for like a blackout game, waving the black towels. I mean, if you can't get pumped up watching something like that, you don't have a soul. <laughs> and the fact that they seem to know exactly who the cheaters are. Like, they chanted cheaters at the Astros, but they only did it to guys that were on the active roster in 2017. Like, they only went after Altuve and Correa, and and, and who else were they going at? Bregman. Like, 40,000 people thinking as one. Like, you want every fan base to be that way. Like, other fan bases should look at that group and be like, I want to be that crazy someday. It's 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 like they're a very smart fan base. It's like, bleep you, bleep you, bleep you. <laughs> You're cool. cool. Bleep you, I'm out of here. Right, exactly. Like, that's what they like. I mean, and just, uh, and you could see that team feeding off of it. Like, you could, you could hear a chant at the end of that game where they're chanting socks and five. And Liam Hendricks is on the mound on the final out, putting up a five and pointing to his SOX on his shirt. Like, they feed right off of that group. Uh, you know, they, 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 again, their backs are against the wall. I don't know. But, man, if they get through, 
Can you imagine them and that rabid Boston fan base going back and forth in the ALCS? Like I'm starting to envision that as a possibility, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I mean, like those, those two games on Sunday, they were my favorites by far so far. Yeah. Go, go to the games in riot gear. If that happens, Boston (laughs) versus Chicago. I mean, the fan bases just have to show up in riot gear. And and I do, we, I think we do have to touch on that, that goofy play a little bit. The grand one. What, what, no, actually, yeah, both of those. That's, those were like two, like, people are like, these are things I've never seen before, which, of course, then the Twitterverse takes off. And there's been at least an example, especially with the Rays, where a ball has bounced off of their player, maybe not, like, in as crucial of a situation, went in, and it was ruled a double. And it's it's kind of a judgment call by the umpires as to where the, where the runners are at. So, like... With the Grandal thing, I, I don't know. I've I've seen diagrams. I've seen people <laughs> drawing up stuff. I mean, there's just been some kind of crazy stuff. There is. So here, let's let's start with the one where the the Renfro thing. So the ball and Harold Reynolds broke both of these down perfectly on on MLB Network. Okay, but I I also read a lot of stuff on both of them, and I looked at the rule book. If you if the ball hits the ground or it hits the wall, the wall is just like the ground. So the moment the ball hits that, then that ball is in play and it did not leave the stadium as a home run. This isn't like a baseball hitting Jose Canseco in the head back in the day and bouncing over the wall and it's a home run. So it's definitely not a home run. Okay. It's definitely a ground rule double. Then it's got to be like, did he purposely throw it over? He hit him in the hip, right? So he didn't purposely throw it over. So it's a ricochet play that occurs. And unfortunately the rule book doesn't say that it's two bases from where it went over the wall. If it was two bases from where it went over the wall, the runner on first base scores because he's already passed second when they, when it hits Renfro's hip and goes over the wall. But the yeah. problem is it's the rule specifically says two bases. That's it. Ground rule double. There isn't even interpretation, it seems like, for the umpires. The Grandal play, I get why people like immediately thought that he was out because he's in the base. he's not in the baseline. But that rule was set up to protect first baseman. Because back in the day, and I'm talking like the old days, like Ty Cobb, okay, they would purposely run into the first baseman to knock the ball out of his hands like they were playing football on a close play. So that's where the baseline thing gets established. But Grandal has the first 45 feet to run wherever he wants to. If he runs at a pitcher's mound, it's okay. Like, you can actually fight in the rule book. He can do whatever he wants to the first 45 feet, okay? And the other thing that Reynolds pointed out, and he's right about it, the play that rule only applies to throws the first base because they're protecting the first baseman. The first baseman does not have a right to a clean throw home because he has the option to take the out at first, go to second because there was a runner going first to second, try to turn a double play, or go home. Now, if Grandal after the first 45 feet and it's marked out there is still way out there in the grass and that hits him, maybe that changes. But like, you know, he hits. He dove for the ball. When you dive for anybody who's played baseball, you dive for a ball. Sometimes you end up out in front of the plate because it goes off the end of your bat. So now he comes up and he's just taking his line. Now, do I think that he stuck his shoulder out? Maybe. But Reggie Jackson did it once before, and everybody thinks that was amazing. Unless, of course, you were the team that was playing Reggie Jackson. And it's pretty hard (laughs) to prove. It's pretty hard to prove. Like, in slow motion, it looks like he sticks his arm out. In real time, you don't even see it. So is he like the Flash like, is he a superhero who can slow things down like he's one of the X-Men and he can react in that way? Like, just in that instant, he can get his arm out and get it back in where nobody can see it unless you slow it down the super slow-mo? I don't know. But, like, I got both rulings. Like, I understood both of those rulings on the field. And the one with Yasmani Grandal in that Sox-Astros game, 
the Sacks had already taken the lead, and they add another five runs. Like, they won 12 to 6. That play isn't the reason why the White Sox won. The one with Renfro had more of an impact on the game than the Grandal one. Yeah, and I, and I, Chris, I, I'm agreeing with you on on both of these, and 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 for for me, I, you know, I, I have a little bit of a, you know, skin in the game with the White Sox, with with my wife being from Chicago and a White Sox fan, and, and I want to see them win, but I mean, he also threw it directly at a man. Like you're a professional baseball player, and you're thinking that you're not going to hit him, that you're going to be able to like split hairs. You're taking a to, risk. To, to get it past a giant man, like like Grandal, like he's he's kind of like a he's kind of a stout guy, like he's not a small guy, right? So I mean, and the play at the plate actually would have been close either way. Robert came in so hard he took the umpire out, which got yeah, lost so I, in it. But he he just destroyed that umpire back there, who's basically Enrico Palazzo. He's throw he's calling strikes, balls, ball strikes. He's already going into his his strikeout call while the ball's in play. Like, it was like in the Naked Gun, where Leslie Nielsen's back there, and first he's Enrico Palazzo, and then he's the umpire in the background, okay, if you've ever seen that movie, where he's just being really demonstrative, he's calling everything wrong, everybody's going crazy in the game. That umpire strike zone changed pitch to pitch. He got so sucked into that angry crowd, he gave calls to both teams, though. I mean, you could see it. I mean, Dylan Cease having a problem early on in that game. He threw one of them right down the middle, and he got a ball. I mean, it was like, like I've seen the graphic on it. It's insane. Like the umpire was deciding <laughs> what was happening in the game before the pitch would actually get. They mentioned it on the broadcast. I want to say Adam Wainwright said it. He's like, sometimes you just run into an umpire. It's already knows what you're going to throw before you throw it. It doesn't matter what you throw. He's already decided it's a ball and a strike because he's got the flow in him. And he, they were making fun of him. And he was so demonstrative back there. That was also hysterical throughout that game. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, like that, that would have been a close play anyway. Anybody that says like, oh, you know, he got into the base path, you know, think about any time somebody goes in the second base to try to break up a, sec- a, a double play. They don't duck and let the guy throw it, right? They don't, they yeah. don't do that. I, so, yeah, I mean, and look, I find it funny. I don't want to do all, all show on this because we got stuff we got into, but I find it funny that the only people that are complaining about that play are from a fan base that cheated their way to win a World Series, Okay. I mean, the, the 2017 World Series champions cheated to get there. And, you know, th- th- like to complain about a play that really probably didn't change the game and to hang on that, like everybody's picking on the Astros and we didn't even get the call. And, that you know, this is cheating. You don't get to make accusations to anybody. You're the Astros. You're synonymous with being a dirty team, just like the White Sox were back in 1919. All right. Like, that's what you are right now. You're the team synonymous with cheating. And so you don't get the you don't get to throw barbs at people. You just have to receive them. And I, I and I love it. I eat it up because that that franchise got an entire year because of the pandemic where nobody got to pick on them. So they can take whatever anybody throws at them. And I think they'll get it all all postseason. If they advance past the Sox, wherever they go, they, it's just going to get worse and worse for them. And I don't feel bad for them in any way. Yeah, and if Hunter Renfro can you know hip check a, a ball off of him and over you know, over the fence and know that it's going to happen. I kind of want him on like a trick shot show. I I really do. Because if he did that on purpose, that would be like, that's like one of those, those trick shots where, I mean, my son watches it with like dude perfect or whatever, where they just basically make something in a cup from like a thousand yards away. Right. He should be on there. Right. Exactly. 
Uh, there's some stuff that happened here. Why don't we go through it? We know that uh, the Pirates have made some personnel moves. Yeah, so the first thing that happened was Brian Esposito, AAA manager, had been the manager out at the alter- alternate site uh, last year, uh, was relieved of his duties. And Chris, as soon as this happened, I was taken back in time in a time machine back to September 6, 2019. On our show, after Michael Ryan, where people kind of like heckled me for complaining about Michael Ryan being fired. And he was the double-A manager at the time. And he was the double-A manager at the time, who who then was, I believe, hired into... He's like, he's like with the South Bend uh, team right now. So he he got like a job like like pretty quickly after that. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to complain anymore about him being fired. But why in the world does Brian Esposito still have a job? I remember this because like anytime anybody went from double A AA to triple A, they got worse. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, some complaints at that point in time, like that, you know, it, there was not, you know, the firing of, of Clint Hurdle at that point, Ray Searage was not gone, but people were calling for it. And I said, yes, they have a piece of that. Like at that point in time, Chris, we wanted them gone as well. But I said, the AAA manager and the AAA like staff also has the responsibility and, you know, it's part of their job to get players ready to go from AAA to the show. Right. And he was not doing that. So maybe the pandemic saved him a year of his job. Maybe they said, you know what, we're going to give him, you know, one more year. But it was just very weird to let go. And we know that the the AA manager may have been let go because of something that happened with the previous regime. But it was just very weird that when Charrington and them came in, maybe they had a lot on their plate, that they weren't also looking at, okay, we're letting all these guys go in on the on the big league club. Like, what's going on at AAA right now that these guys are having such difficulty that are, like, you know, playing very well at AAA, and then when they're showing up in the major leagues, they're not playing well. Or when they're showing up from AA, from this guy who was just fired, and then all of a sudden their numbers drop off. To me, Chris, this was, like, something that, you know... I don't think we can really celebrate it. I don't like when anybody loses their job, but we can at least say, hey guys, 2019, almost two years ago, like we called this. Yeah, this was an inevitability. And I remember I remember saying, and you know, you can always figure it out. If you go to bucksinthebasement.com, they're, they're all on demand, also on any podcast player. So you can go back and hear what we said exactly. But I believe that I said on that show Ben Charrington's got to get in there and learn the personnel, but eventually there's going to be changes because if you're going to stack your system and go through a rebuild, then you also have to have good player development. And anybody who's not on board with what they want to do, that guy's going to get moved aside. So that that makes it makes sense to me, especially after what we observed a couple of years ago. Joey Cora's gone. Yeah. The windmill at third base is no longer. And so Derek Shelton's going to have to find himself a new coach. And and remember, he also has to take care of Eckstein. Because I would imagine he's going to do a real search for a permanent hitting coach as well. So he has stuff to do in the offseason now. Yeah, and it seems like uh, that they're going to go on the hitting side. It, it it seems to be pointing outside the organization at this point in time, which I was kind of, I mean, they can do whatever they need to do. Uh, but I was kind of shocked by that because John Nunnally has, you know, down in AAA has been their, you know, player whisperer. 
And Cole Tucker, after spending an entire season with John Nunnally for a month, you know, prior to AAA starting, then an entire AAA season, comes up and actually hits better than he's ever hit in his career. So if John Nunnally can get Cole Tucker to hit, then you know what? He might be your guy. But that's, you know, kind of like half joking. But it, it seemed to be they had a lot of faith in this guy. So... I don't know if I'm buying that they're going to go completely outside the organization for this. Uh, maybe, you know, of course they're going to interview all kinds of different people. But on the Joey Cora side, uh, as soon as this happened, I just basically went on Twitter and I said, maybe he set Moran one too many times and then took the pause and said, but joke, you know, all jokes aside, Joey Cora was also the, the infield coach. Like, he transferred, you know, Colin Moran to first base. He turned Adam Frazier from a utility man outfielder into a gold glove finalist two years in a row. Yeah. He took Kevin Newman, who basically looked lost at shortstop, and the only reason he had the job in 2020 was because of how he hit it in 2000. And 19, I was basically calling for him to be moved to second base at that point in time because he looked so lost, worked with him, and then Kevin Newman became one of the best like defensive shortstops in the National League. I mean, you go and say, okay, Cabrian Hayes. Yeah, I mean, Cabrian Hayes is Cabrian Hayes. But when you look across the field and you say, what do you do for Kevin Newman? <laughs> he made him pretty good. What do you do for Adam Frazier? Man, he made that guy pretty good. What did he do for, you know, Colin Moran? He made him a serviceable first baseman where he was one of the worst third basemen, like, in the league. So I, I, I'm i not going to say, like, this is like a, you know, a bad call, but I definitely just had some question marks. Is it possible that the thing that we heard coming out of the end of the season where there was an admission that we had great defense, but it really isn't the most important thing because you can have great defense and still be terrible. And he's fired more because of what he does at third base. But then I would counter with, I think Joey Coro will get picked up by a team at some point as a bench coach, like as a number two to a manager. He's also managed some MLB games when he has been a bench coach for other teams in his career. His career is not going anywhere. He just maybe shouldn't be at third base. Unless you want to be really aggressive, then he's your guy. And there are some guys that are super aggressive in Major League Baseball. And maybe if you find him in that position, then go for it. Or maybe he's just a guy that you didn't want at third base and you could have still kept them around for defense. He won't be unemployed for very long. I think he had interviewed for maybe like, I think it was like the Mets uh, bench coaching job uh, after you know everybody was let go in 2019 like when hurdle was let go and everybody uh he had did have some interviews i mean he has contacts he has skills we've always said that he's a good baseball mind but the crazy part about this again chris is just that i mean if it's about third base i remember back in 2019 people can like back look back and and listen to quotes from from clint hurdle before that season and said we need to be more aggressive on the base pass and so joey did that this year, Derek Shelton has been quoted as saying we need to be more aggressive on the base pass. And so, like, in some ways, I mean, I know Joey probably need to pick his spots because, you know, 
Colin Moran, I think, got thrown out about five times at home plate, and <laughs> none of them were close. But Joey's thinking to himself in his head, right. and I might be doing the same thing, like, we're not going to score too many runs this game, and we got a guy on second base, and there's a single. Uh, let's see if this guy bobbles the ball or something. I'm I'm sending him no matter what. So, I like I said, it's a third base coach, not a huge deal, what he did with the infield, I you know, especially you know, with with Shelton crediting that to him. I mean, there's other guys that are working with those players as well, but it just seemed to be like, okay, this was like just a weird fire at the end of the year. We have arbitration estimates out by MLB trade rumors for every team. The Pirates have 11 guys that we're going to have to decide if we're going to offer them arbitration. And we have the salaries that they're estimated to end up with. Now, things can change. Arbitrators can do whatever the heck that they want to. But there's a possibility that if you decide to offer arbitration, this is what you're going to end up paying this guy uh, next year uh, for the Pirates. So why don't I run down the names? We've got about seven, eight minutes left to go here in the show, and i got to get through 11 of them. So let's make it real quick. I'm going to give you the name. I'm going to give you the amount that they would probably make. You tell me if you're offering them arbitration, okay? All right, sounds good, brother. All right, let's start off with Chasen Shreve, $2.3 million. Yay or nay? Yeah, I'm giving it to him, man. I, absolutely, it's 100%. Chad Cool, $3 million. Here's my thing is that Chad Cool was, was a fairly good starter, got hurt, was coming back, Accident, you know, unfortunately got COVID, then had to come back, was in the bullpen and was, you know, just disastrous in the bullpen. I thought he was going to be a trade candidate this year, possibly in the offseason, maybe not. $3 million, I don't know. It's not your Especially, money. It's Nutting's money. What, what, just, I, just I know. Spend it. I, just spend I it, think man. You, I think that you give it to him. And you see what happens. And I'm pretty sure that even if Chad Cool's not, you know, doing great, as long as he stays healthy, you could probably get something for him at the trade deadline. So I say yes. All right. Ben Gamble at 2.9 million. I'm a yes. Absolutely. On that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like not even a question. And uh Wilmer Defoe, uh, one point one million. You love him. I, I think he could actually be like a starter on your team next year. Like yeah, and I mean, that's where people will, I mean, like, we can go down, because I mean, I, I have the list as well, but we have Kevin Newman at $2.2 million, and we just had the conversation uh, two episodes ago, uh, but we had Mike Piersack in between, but we said if if they're going to be close, that, you know, why wouldn't you go with Defoe? I mean, Defoe's saving you $1.1 million over Kevin Newman, and he had better numbers. So... I, I, I'm I'm saying yes to Defoe, and and if you you know a, if you want to look to possibly trade him or something at some point because he's a good pinch hitter, there's teams that look for that, especially moving towards the postseason. If you got a guy that's got 16 pinch hits, you know, leading the league, people may be looking for that. Colin Moran, four million. That's going to be the biggest number. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's the biggest. No, second biggest number. Uh, I think this one is this one is a yes. Really, because you don't know who else you're going to put there, unless you intend to go out and get somebody else to stand there. You know, if you unless you have like the 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 inkling that he's not the first baseman that we're really going to use in the future, and we've already got somebody else in mind that we think is going to shake loose that'll be around for the next three four years when this team finally gets good. Otherwise, yeah, of course, I think you pick him up. 
Yeah, I mean, this one right here, I mean, it's it's like looking at Colin Moran and looking at $4 million, for what he produ what he can produce, I, I think it would be good. It's just hopefully this is a healthy season. And like you said, he's not, at this point in time, he's not blocking anybody. So for $4 million, I think you have to say yes to Colin Moran. All right. Chris Stratton, 2.2 mil. Yes. Stephen Brawl, 2.2 mil. No. Really? I'm not giving it. I'm not giving Stephen Brawl has not been healthy for the past two years. He's not made out of spring training the past two years. So I'm I honestly, I, I almost want to beat a Stephen Brawl like we were to surprisingly Clay, Clay Holmes last year, which is like, dude, you were hurt like the entire year. For Stephen Brawl, it's like, dude, you were hurt the past two years. So, like, if the season would have started on time last year, he would have played the same amount of games. Right. Like, he wasn't ready to go. Right. And here's the thing. You have to remember, you can always re-sign these guys at less money. So you're really yeah. only offering them the arbitration if you think to yourself, well, if I don't, somebody else is going to give them that money and I'm never getting them back. So I, I get that. Jacob Stallings at $2.6 million. That's a slam dunk, absolutely, and an absolute bargain, I think, right? Yeah. that's That, to me, like... That's a steal right there for the best defensive catcher in Major League Baseball. Kevin Newman at 2.2 mil. No, I'm not oh, doing I it, man. I love it. I love it. I love that you're so I, cold. I'm just, I'm honestly, at this point in time, the defense improved. The bat has just been, you know, terrible. I, I, I'm just going to, at this point in time, like we can revisit this. Like this is not being decided right now, but my immediate reaction is Wilmer Defoe, $1.1 million. Kevin Newman, $2.2 million. Let's go, Wilmer. Michael Perez, 900K. If you can get it to me for 750, I might be touching <laughs> that. But I'm not, I'm not, I mean, if, if you can talk him down a little bit, I don't know how much, how they can even talk 900,000 for a dude hit like 141. I know. I, that's just one of those things where you just got to go, what? You want money? Go away. All right. Uh, Brian Reynolds with the absolute steal. I mean, think about this. Uh, according to MLB trade rumors, you're going to be able to offer arbitration to and receive a year of Brian Reynolds at $4.5 million. You know how many teams would give him $15 million right now a year if they could? Like, I, like you just, just that right there, enjoy it now while you've got it, and hope that, like, here's the thing. The way it should operate, and I don't know if it operates this way, but this is the way it should operate. The way it should operate is when, when Ben Charrington's given a budget from above, if he decides he doesn't want to spend all that money and he wants to bank some of it for the future, that it goes someplace, some sort of fund, some sort of trust, some sort of place where later when he goes to Bob Nutting and says, now I want that money back because we're being competitive and I need to sign a guy or re-sign a guy or extend a contract, then Nutting goes, well, you saved me a lot of money with a very cheap team while we were rebuilding. So yes, I put it in a trust and it's your money. You saved it up over the last couple of years. And so like, that's why you would turn down some of these guys, even though they seem cheap, because if they're not part of the solution, Fill the team with guys that are cheaper and because eventually you're going to have to pay Brian Reynolds an absurd amount of money and you don't want to lose him. He's a linchpin to your team for the future. Yeah. I mean, this to me, like, and we'll just say that like MLB trade rumors, like for whatever, you know, formula they use or whatever it would be, like they find themselves usually within 0.5 million in either direction. Sometimes, you know, if I'm Brian Reynolds' agent, 
I may go to them and say, you know, six million and see where you find yourself. And maybe they're eventually like, you know what, five million and and hopefully maybe an extension. Well, that's what they need to do. That should be a goal for this team in the offseason. A goal for this team should be to extend Brian Reynolds. That that is an absolute goal for the Pirates in this offseason. If he's if his arbitration number is expected to be four point five million, you know down the line what he's going to be worth. Go in there right now and say, you know what, that's ridiculous, four point five million. Let let's start paying you seven or eight a year, but let's lock you in at that. You know, or have it like where it, it slowly rises, but you have some control over it. Because if he continues to play the way that he's playing and he improves, which I believe he will, I don't even think you've gotten to his ceiling yet. He's no. going to be, you're not going to be able to hold on to him long-term. And that's going to hurt, especially when the team is ready. So extending him should be an absolute goal this offseason, I believe. Yeah, when you got a guy that's like hitting over 300, hitting 24 home runs, is worth six war without Cabrian Hayes for two months, without Colin Moran, you know, backing him up behind him in the lineup for over two months. And he just basically plugs along. He, We've always said this, Chris, and a lot of people believe this as well. So we're not like, you know, breaking ground here. The dude is just a ball player. Right. And he's a really good ball player. And he will just show up the office and he will just play ball. Look at the teams in the postseason right now. Look at these teams like the Astros because they're towards the back end of their rebuild into a build, win a World Series because they're cheaters, and then compete every year in the postseason. Look at a young team like the Chicago White Sox who have almost kind of followed the Astros model, which makes it really interesting watching them in the postseason right now because they're just a few years behind them. They're at the beginning of that run. And also look at the common denominator in them and other teams around baseball. When they had young talent, they extended them. And they got them at a low enough price that when they finally got good, it wasn't a one or two year window. It was a big, giant, gaping hole that you never know when it's going to close. And that's what the Pirates have to aim for. And being able to extend him is is really a big step. And it's something we'll be rooting for all offseason. Yeah. I mean, Chris, it's like we said before, man. And this is a guy that... You know, you called it before the season. I had some questions just because... I was on him. I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how great I am, Craig. Yeah, I mean, and that's the unfortunate part of this arbitration is that, I mean, that you take your entire career, you know, into consideration, and he had pretty much one of the worst 60-game stretches that he could have in his entire career, or this would definitely be higher... But like you said, Chris, that's a smart way to go into that. It's just saying, you know what, man, they're, they're, they want us to lowball you. Right. They, they want us to, and we don't want to. Listen. So let's work something out. Right now, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get him because this is the worst he's ever going to do in arbitration because they're going to fall back on the 2020 year. And that's why that number is so low. I'm telling you right now, like this is the best opportunity to be able to go out there and grab him. I mean, the, the Phillies have nine guys. I just scrolled up right to the Phillies. And Hoskins over there at $7.6 million. I take Brian Reynolds on my team before I put Hoskins on my team. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. And he's going to get a bigger number because of the way that his stats have looked over the last couple of years. Brian Reynolds is a guy that this may be the best chance you have to extend him at the best price you're going to extend him at. Why not? Go get it. Let's do it. Now I see the changes in this town. They change.